electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Steve Grosso, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Tonight on Fast, we're all over the after-hours action on this very busy night of earnings. Tesla, Intel, Las Vegas Sands, all on the move. We've got instant reaction to the quarters coming your way. Plus, the Powell pullback stocks giving up early gains as the Fed tees up a March rate hike. We are breaking down the fallout. And later, the retail revolution, a big bet on GameStop helping to crown SunVest as the best-performing hedge fund in 2021, we've got a rare exclusive interview with the man who runs that fund. That is straight ahead. We start off with the big report of the day. That would be Tesla. The stock is volatile after hours after an earnings beat on the top and the bottom lines. It's now down by just a fraction of a percent. CBC's Phil LeBeau is following the action. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa. I think the stock dropped a little bit because people saw the supply chain comments and they said, oh, whoa. Tesla's going to get hit like everybody else has been hit with supply chain issues, but we don't know to what extent. We probably won't know until we get more clarity during the conference call, which starts in about 25 minutes. But as you mentioned, the company did beat on the top and the bottom line, and by the way, beat fairly handily, uh, earning 254 a share versus the estimate of 236, with revenue coming in at 17.72 billion. The estimate was for revenue of 16.57 billion, and the numbers within the numbers. Well, they're pretty darn good for the fourth quarter. Let's start with automotive gross margins, ex-government credits. Forget the 30.6%. This is the one that people are focused on. Came in at 29.2%. That is better than the street was expecting, which was 28.3%. Operating margin of 14.7%. Free cash flow, $2.77 billion. And in terms of production, we didn't get a lot of guidance from the company, but they did talk about where things stand certainly with Austin and Berlin. Both of those factories are built. They are already building vehicles, but they're still finalizing those vehicles, so they're not yet delivering. In other words, they're not up and running and contributing to the number of vehicles that will be delivered uh, at least so far. We expect that to happen relatively soon. The plants are running below capacity. We're talking about Fremont, we're talking about China, and they're running below capacity largely because of supply chain issues, which Tesla said in its investor note that they expect that to continue through 2022. Elon Musk is the man of the hour, and he's the one that people are waiting to hear from. The expectation is that he will be on the conference call in 25 minutes and will give some type of a product roadmap. Now, how much clarity do we get from that roadmap? Do they talk about Cybertruck, exactly when they expect it to be out? Uh, what do they say about the semi? What do they say about the Roadster? Do they give any indication that there are other vehicles uh, that the company is looking to develop? Let's say a type of vehicle, whether it's an SUV, a crossover, et cetera. That's what people will be focused on if Elon Musk is on the call and if we do get this product roadmap that people have been talking about. But again, Tesla beating on the top and the bottom line, Melissa. And really, when you look at the numbers within the numbers, they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, Phil, in terms of Elon Musk, I mean, the company has not had a new product for about two years. Cybertruck has right. been delayed. Um, and he hinted there have been hints of a $25,000 vehicle. Yeah. Any guesses from analysts on what this product roadmap I, I don't, could include? 
I don't think that we're going to get a specific vehicle. That's not mm. the way that Tesla does it. Look, when they announce, hey, we are going to build a new vehicle, it tends to be not done during a conference call like this. It tends to be its own event. Or Elon Musk will take a separate, away from earnings, a separate event, and he'll say, look, we're developing X, Y, and Z. So I would be surprised, Melissa, if we get a specific model that is mentioned. I think it's going to be more along the lines of this is where we are. They might talk specifically about the uh, Cybertruck as well as the Semi because both of those are the next vehicles in the product cadence. Um, And I think the other question that needs to be answered, Melissa, and I'm sure the analysts will be asking about this, how much is the development of those two vehicles being held back because of the supply chain? They are, look, they're selling every Model 3 and Model Y that they can make. Those are red hot right now worldwide. And if you're Tesla, the smart thing to do is to feed the the demand that is out there for those two Mm -hmm. vehicles. Is that slowing down when we could see the Cybertruck and the Semi and then ultimately the Roadster? But look, the Roadster is a niche vehicle. Yep. Uh, Phil, thanks. Keep us posted. Phil LeBeau, the conference call again underway in just about 25 minutes time. The stock has been all over the map in the after hour session. It's now down by just about a percent. Tim, your take on the quarter. Gross margin uh, X credits, 29.2. Street was at 28.3. Last was 28.8. That's excellent. Um, The supply chain mention was noteworthy and and the stock responded at least initially because Tesla had been uh, seemingly maybe not impervious, but but so far ahead of the competition in the global supply chain. And I think um, just even the mention of that, I, I think that's been qualified somewhat. I think the, the, the discussion and what they have said, I still think there's a lot of vagary we need to hear on the call about really where they intend to be on production. But saying we expect to be growing uh, vehicle deliveries 50 percent per annum in, you know, for the foreseeable is is pretty extraordinary growth. And, and I realize that that's uh, where I think people have been, I certainly have been knocked back in surprise on just how extraordinary that growth is. Um, you know, so we have to hear about Texas, we have to hear about Berlin and, and how much they can continue to, to, to see new production come online. But Fremont right now, uh, they're saying they can do north of 600,000 vehicles there. So again, to me, this comes back to, uh, they seem to be outperforming. I'll say this about the stock. Um, and again, I don't like the valuation and, and I'm not going to suddenly change on that. I think it's 80 times. But I will say that Tesla has actually been remarkably not volatile and in fact is, is probably pulled back in line or even a little bit less than Ford and GM. And, and at a time when everyone was talking about EVs on the way up, that which gave those stocks a boost, um, Tesla wasn't hurt by the competitive landscape. So it's actually been remarkably low vol. And I think there's more vol yet to come here. But so far, so good. I, I've been surprised by that as well. Yeah, the forward P.E. as we have it is actually 100. So, Pete, would you um, pick on that valuation or seeing what the growth uh, the company can deliver is? Would you say, you know what, that's all right by me? I think for now, I think you could still say that, Melissa. I mean, quite honestly, I'm looking at these numbers, and as Tim pointed out, I mean, that the, the margin number is definitely something that's impressive. How about that free cash flow, though? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was outrageous, too. Two, two, what was it, $2.7 billion? And all of a sudden you wonder, do they have enough demand? Yeah, they got demand. They only got four days worth of inventory. So they are cranking. They are moving. They're doing everything they want to do. That valuation has never looked very uh, appealing for any of us. 
but they do own the space. They have 71% of the market in the EVs in 2021. They really do own the space still. I know we bring up Ford, GM, and all the others, European companies and everybody else as far as competition, but this is the ownership of that competition. They own the EV space, and they continue just to be miraculous on what they are able to accomplish. So I think it's an impressive quarter. I can understand why the stock's not necessarily moving the way we would like to see it after a numbers that we are seeing that they came up with. There was absolutely incredible. But this is a stock that, to Tim's point, it's been, it's been interesting because the one pushback I'd give you, Tim, would be this. The implied volatility of the options in Tesla has been through the roof. For a long time, they were, there, they were at this level where they are right now. Then they pulled back for the last year or so. They've been trading about half of these levels. So there is something out there in terms of volatility. And we're talking about day in and day out volatility. Let's not forget, this is a stock that just this month has been as low as 860, as high as 1200. So there is some volatility there with this stock. And I think this is a really interesting spot right now. As a matter of fact, I did buy some calls today. So we'll see. I'm, I'm above where the market is right now. I think I hold the 950 strike calls. So we'll see if that actually can get anywhere moving towards that direction. But before the Fed today, the levels where, where it was trading made me think that there was something very positive. The numbers are positive, but the reaction's not quite as positive as I'd hoped. Yeah, so does this tell you, Steve Grasso, that it's really the context, it's really the backdrop of the markets that's going to dictate how Tesla trades, even though Tesla is very much a story stock? Yeah, you know, I, I would have thought it would have been hit to Tim's point that he said it outperformed the other automakers, I would have thought because of its growth and because of its PE that you stated, trading it 100 times, this one should have been slammed in the face of rising rates. It hasn't been. So to Pete's point, when you look at the Cybertruck, he didn't mention it by name, but Cybertruck and Ford and all the other competition, is Tesla getting a pass because they were the first ones to the EV market? Or are they going to get hit because of competition. So if they have a delay in the Cybertruck, that means that Rivian and Ford are going to beat them to the rollout of the pickup truck. If that's the case, then Ford that was up 80% for a year ago performance, then you have to look at that on a pullback, even though it's recently pulled back 20%, you might wanna get back in on a Ford. Rivian is definitely being priced as a risk uh, asset in the face of higher rates, and that's why it's been demolished. Rivian, which according to reports today, is ramping up production of its first vehicle. Uh, meantime, let's get a reaction from Fast Money friend Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Uh, he's a managing partner there. Gene, always good to speak with you. Uh, what's your take here? You like the quarter. I do, Melissa. And just taking a step back, I think important context is Tesla is growing deliveries at 5x uh, faster than the overall auto industry. Their profitability on a gross margin per vehicle basis is uh, more than 4x greater than the auto industry, a 5 and a 4x. And I think that, that kind of those two uh, metrics stand alone. And there's a sense of deja vu in the conversation. Seems like every quarter we hear, we hear about Tesla beating numbers, uh, margins going up. And I think it begs the question, what's going to change going forward? And I just kind of want to jump to that when I think about the context mm -hmm. of the quarter. And I think that this gap, that this incredible gap that they have, uh, they're up 71%. GM, I think, was down 44% in terms of deliveries in the December quarter. That gap is going to close at some level. Uh, it, will not, or it will narrow. I don't think it will close. But the profitability piece, and this is critical because for Tesla to have an outsized market cap relative to deliveries from the other car makers, 
they need to have outsized uh, uh, profitability. But I, I think that that profitability piece is uh, still underappreciated about what they're building. And I would just put this last piece in here is that the numbers were good. They were actually better than at first glance. They were probably even better than uh, as you normalize some of the numbers for one-time effects like CEO compensation. The numbers were probably better uh, because you can look at things like uh, uh, FSD and some of the revenue. Despite all of its controversy, they're, they're recognizing very little piece of that. That's something that other car makers don't have that will be accretive to margin long-term. Yeah, um, Tesla had a line in its release, Gene, that really caught my eye, and that is that it had its highest uh, quarterly operating margin among all volume OEMs. This according to the most recent data available, quote, demonstrating that EVs can be more profitable than combustion engine vehicles. So really sort of underscoring that notion that uh, Tesla's got it while the other OEMs mm -hmm. don't so far on the profitability piece. Elon Musk wasn't on the call last quarter. He's going to be on the call this quarter. What do you think he's going to say? I'm hoping for Cybertruck uh, pre-order numbers. Uh, it's been a long time since they've updated that. I think your conversation with Phil around Model 2, this uh, the earlier car, I'm keenly focused on that. I don't think we're going to hear much about that, in part because they start talking about a new uh, lower price version coming out. They start selling against themselves, and I don't think that they want to do that. They have said that they will be in all vehicle variant classes over time. So undoubtedly those are going to come. But to answer your question uh, regarding uh, Elon on the, on the call, I think it's just going to be related. I hope it, he's going to give some insight uh, around uh, the orders. And if it just, by the way, my, my bogey is I think it uh, could be as much as a million and a half. Uh, compare that to Ford, the F-150 Lightning. I think they're right around 250 or 300,000. Hmm. All right, Gene, keep us posted on that. The stock is positive right now, up by four-tenths of a percent, about 16 minutes to that conference call. we got an after-hours alert on Netflix. Leslie Picker's got the details. Less. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, shares of Netflix popping in the after hours up about 5% right now on a revelation by Pershing Square's Bill Ackman that they acquired 3.1 million shares of Netflix in recent days, making them, as they call it, a top 20 shareholder in this company. They say that the uh, valuation became attractive to them when investors reacted negatively to the recent quarter's subscriber growth and management's short-term guidance. They go through a bunch of reasons and characteristics why they like Netflix. It's subscription-based, uh, they like the management team, economies of scale, pricing power, and so forth. And they say that they first started analyzing Netflix in conjunction with that investment in Universal Music Group, uh, which they initially looked at as part of their SPAC. Also interesting with you know, in relation to this position is they said that they unwound a substantial majority of their interest rate hedge that generated proceeds of one and a quarter billion dollars in order to put money to work in Netflix, they said that had they not sold the hedge, they would have actually realized more gains based on increases in interest rates, uh, largely today since their sale. However, they found Netflix to be an attractive opportunity and therefore decided to invest. Again, uh, Pershing Square Capital Management's Bill Ackman acquiring more than 3 million shares of Netflix. You can see shares up more than 5% in after hours. Melissa. And Leslie, just to be clear, there's no um, evidence or nothing to lead us to believe that he's taking an activist role in Netflix? Not, no, not from this letter. And interesting, okay. Melissa, interestingly, uh, we haven't seen him take activist positions in several years now. Mm -hmm. And it seems, based on this letter, fully complimentary of the management team, of the business. They found it to be an attractive valuation and took a stake.
Right. Uh, Leslie, thanks for that. Leslie Picker with the latest on Netflix shares are up five and a half percent right now. Sounds like Ackman sees a value play or saw a value play uh, with the decline in Netflix shares off the back of earnings. This kind of gave me flashbacks of Carl Icahn in Netflix years back. I think that was 2013 or so when he exited his Netflix position. But this is not activist. Let's underscore that. Tim, what do you think? Right. So wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, no, it, it's not active. And it's certainly a case where uh, if you listen to that dialogue, it's about a couple things. It's, it's one where Netflix has certainly gotten to a place relative to itself. It, it's, it's a value call. It certainly trades inside of Disney in terms of its streaming business. And, and the stories change with Netflix from just category leadership and sub growth, I think, to focus on the international and, and actually focus on margin. I know that sounds crazy because I think it's going to be a challenge on free cash flow and their best free cash flow year was the, the year when uh, they couldn't spend on content and people were stuck at home. But I, I think that's the story on economies of scale. As I mentioned uh, late last week, I, you know, I picked up stock the next day around these levels. Uh, it's also interesting to hear that, that Ackman kind of has, has connected a removal of an interest rate uh, hedge to also allocation here. And it does tell you where, again, some people may be thinking that high multiple stocks, again, what do you think about Netflix? I don't know, but certainly could be there are now maybe, you know, some folks, active folks, smart folks like Ackman are saying we've seen some of this run you know, far enough. We, we mm -hmm. recognize the high multiple dynamic of these stocks and interest rates. Yep. Um, we got some breaking news here on Moderna. Let's get straight to Meg Terrell. Meg. Hey, Melissa. Moderna is saying it had started a trial of its Omicron-specific booster vaccine. Of course, we know that the companies, essentially from the day that the Omicron variant was discovered, started developing uh, these vaccines tailoring uh, to it. Uh, now, of course, getting it into the human clinical trials. This follows a day after we heard the same announcement from Pfizer. Moderna is saying here in this phase two study, it's going to test the vaccine both as a third and a fourth shot after the original Moderna doses. It's also evaluating whether to include this in a multivalent booster vaccine, which essentially would be one shot that protects against multiple strains of the virus. Uh, so this will inform decision-making about what we need in terms of next steps when it comes to the vaccine. Whenever we get these results, they'll show them to regulators and that will help with that decision-making process. Uh, what could also help is more data uh, that just came out tonight in a New England Journal of Medicine small study of about 20 booster recipients. Moderna is saying that looking seven months out after the second dose of its shot, only 55 percent of participants could still neutralize or block Omicron from being able to infect cells. Uh, with the third dose, of course, you get higher antibody levels. Six months out from that, they found that the neutralizing levels did decline 6.3 fold, but still remain detectable in all participants. So essentially providing more data about how important that third dose is in this age of Omicron. Uh, and altogether, this is going to give us more data about what the vaccines look like potentially later this year. Mel, back to you. All right, Meg, thanks. Meg Terrell on that. Moderna shares ticking higher by 1.3%. Uh, Pete, you in this one? You know, I'm not, Mel, and I'm actually finally getting pretty interested. This is very much like Netflix, where when you look at Netflix, obviously it's been cut literally in half. And now I look at Moderna, which was a $500 stock at its peak, and now it's dropped all the way down to about 155 or sort of in, at least in that range. And you look at this company, it's not just about what's going on right now in the world or what's been going on over the last year and a half or two with the pandemic. This is a legitimate company as well. So I look at this and I think, 
you know what? It might finally be time. I'm definitely uh, looking at that a little bit more in depth over the next week or so, maybe even less. But I like what I'm seeing here right now, Mel, and it's not just about uh, Moderna and all of what's going on with Omicron and everything else. I'm looking at it more as, hey, look, this is a company that actually has a heck of a lot of value to it. I'd like to see a little bit more depth of the pipeline, but I still think this is a name that's probably been beaten up enough and maybe it's time to turn. Yeah, 3% gain in the after hours on Moderna so far. Coming up, more earnings. Intel and Las Vegas stands on the move after their reports. We've got the details next. And later, rate hike on the horizon. The Fed signaling it is ready, getting ready to move. We will break down how the markets are digesting this news. Fast Money's back in two. Do, do not go anywhere. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got another earnings alert. Intel's on the move after reporting earnings. The call kicked off at the top of the hour. John Fortin's listening in has got the latest. Hey, John. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, it is on the move. It's been moving between plus and minus uh, negative, uh, plus and minus a half uh, a percent after hours. Uh, Pat Gelsinger on the call, kicking it off, saying that uh, they're heading into 2023, uh, looking at incremental uh, improvement uh, there. He talked about the IDM 2.0 strategy, uh, that the what's happened so far affirms that it is right and reaffirmed that in 2024 they expect their manufacturing process to be uh, at leadership and in 2025 design will be. Now, the stock did pop a bit after hours when he said that they are on or ahead of schedule on process technology. Uh, He did go on to talk about Raptor Lake, uh, a new chip that they have booted in the labs that follows on Alder Lake. And he talked about the ARC graphics chips uh, delivering in volume later this quarter. So uh, all of that going on, he's saying the strategy uh, is on track and uh, that he does expect this year to be better than last. But still, investors are looking for execution, execution, and looking ahead to this analyst day that Intel is going to have, where he's going to detail more on exactly how that should happen, Melissa. All right, John, thanks for the latest on Intel. Um, We'll have Pat Gelsinger on Tech uh, Check tomorrow morning. Forgot to say that. That's important. I was going to mention it because I knew that you had forgotten it or got the wrap or something. But yeah, that's an interview we won't want to miss. Pat Gelsinger tomorrow. Tech check. Thanks, John. Steve Grasso, do you like Intel? I mean, in this world of value versus growth, Intel could fall in the value bucket and still got a catalyst ahead. So Intel definitely falls in the value bucket. It's underperformed for the last year to the likes of an AMD or an NVIDIA. It's also outperformed on a relative basis. It's gone down less in the last month, three months. But when you look at you, when you look at it, onshoring is something that they're gonna be ahead of the supply chain on. They're the first ones or they're the latest ones to do that in a big way. 
but do people want their chip versus the other chips that are out there? You have to ask yourself that question. Then technically, the 100-day moving average has been resistance on the stock. That's around 56 and a quarter. Stock is trading at 51, let's call it 52. So your upside has been limited. That's been resistance since August uh, of last year. Tim? Well, it's a case, look, I, I, I want to hear Pat Gelsinger, and I have a lot of confidence in, in this man who's put the pedal to the metal in terms of CapEx spend. It's an arms race out there in Foundry uh, between Taiwan Semi, Samsung, Intel, and Intel's, you know, got some room to catch up. Uh, their, their CapEx is a function of infrastructure build-out, uh, equipment, you know, new plants, and, you know, we definitely want to hear more about Ohio. There's talk of, you know, $20 billion in CapEx there. Um, the fact that their, their Sapphire Rapids chip is, is online is great and you know again in their their next generation release uh the valuation that you know 10 11 times trailing uh i think the forward is a little tougher and frankly i think they're getting a little bit of a uh of a benefit of the doubt at this point because i think we really do need to hear uh where we're going to be in 23 24 and, and it almost is the linear relationship between the spend and where i think people are going to begin to target earnings out that far all right we are just getting started here on fast money here's what's coming up next Fed in focus. Powell pointing to a rate hike on the horizon. The traders break down what it means for the markets next. Plus, going long GameStop? One hedge fund did, and it paid off big time. We've got the details coming up. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another wild ride on Wall Street today as stocks give up some pretty substantial gains from the early session. The Nasdaq had been up as much as 3.4 percent, but ended the day flat. The Dow swinging 940 points from high to low. The move coming after Fed Chair Jerome Powell set the stage for a rate hike in March and check out the spike in yields. As he spoke, the 10-year yield soaring back toward 1.9 percent. We're at 1.873 right now. So is the Fed put truly kaput? Tim, I'll go to you on that. You, you had to do that, Mel. And good for you for doing that. So, so and good for Jerome Powell for doing it. And the question is, is he doing enough? And, and I would actually focus at the short end and the, uh, the middle part of the curve, the belly, they call it. But again, twos and fives. And without getting too lost in that, just look at the short end. Look, look at where we went essentially in, in the last 24 hours from 1% to 115. So the market's you know, almost dropped in two-thirds of a, of, of a 25 bip. 
uh, hike right there. I, I think the focus here that investors and the world is looking at out of the Fed today uh, was reminding that the labor market may be the most important bogey for them right now. And again, uh, they've always talked about the labor market, but uh, the move from 5.9 to 3.9 on the unemployment rate, but more importantly, the labor cost inflation is something that the Fed knows better than anybody is the stickiest part of the inflation story. So um, I, look, I, I think this is a day when, although it was you know a non-event in terms of the announcement. Uh, obviously, the market read into uh, the Fed chairman's comments, and the sense was that they are less concerned about market dynamics, and I would agree with that as well. All right. Um, you know, it, it was an interesting day in terms of all the asset classes. I mean, we saw markets go down, Steve. We saw yields go higher, and we saw oil stubbornly high as well on a day when Brent hit $90 a barrel for the first time since October of 2014. The dollar also up. These are all things that are not necessarily good for the markets. Yeah, but, you know, I think the, I think the market, you never want to say the market gets it wrong, but we are, uh, we've experienced the FOMC and Chair Powell talking hawkish, but acting more dovish. The market has already established that they will, they will stop asset purchases, they will raise rates, and they'll let the balance sheet run off. That's not all happening all at once, and I think that's what they've factored in. I think the sell-side banks are tripping over themselves, saying there's going to be four, five, six, seven hikes. They're trying to outdo themselves. I think this is a great setup for the market. It's pulled back. Chair Powell has confidence in the economy, is seeing through Omicron, and I don't think this is going to be as bad as people think. Look at the front end of the curve, like Tim said. If he talks more dovish, what happens? The front end comes down and then the back end will steepen because they won't be afraid that he's going to overstep and create a recession. EEM, emerging markets will do better. Value will do better. Banks will do better. End of story. I think he's got to get off the hawkish bandwagon just a bit for markets to start performing a little bit better. To quote one of Pete's favorite songs, everything's coming up roses, Pete. It sounds like in Gross's scenario, it's a win-win-win situation pretty much if he even turns a little bit less yeah. hawkish and that all of this hawkish talk is just jawboning. What do you think? Just jawboning. Just jawboning. That's right. Well, you know, Mel, I, I, I think for a long time, everybody's just looked at, at so many different aspects of the market. And obviously, everybody has a very big concern about all the different areas of the market right now that are getting hit from all areas as far as catalysts go. But the Fed being one of the biggest hammers out there, as a matter of fact. And so... You know, it was an interesting reaction today. The markets were absolutely on fire. They started to really sell off pretty harshly. And I thought that was pretty interesting how actually the NASDAQ hung in there pretty well, relatively speaking. So, you know, it's interesting. It's always going to be interesting. I mean, everything's coming up roses. I'm not sure that's always going to be the case. But it certainly uh, it, it felt like it that that's something looking out, that that's something that they're looking at right now, that everything can be roses. And we'll see if that's really going to play out the way they think. Uh, the labor market is strong. That's something that they talked about time and time again. And there's no doubt about that. But to your point, Mel, oil and a lot of different other aspects of the market sure, sure do cause a little bit of, uh, uh, I don't know, some waves in that what seems like calm water that we're talking about right now. All right. Um, for more on the Fed, let's bring in Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter. Steve, what did you make of Powell today? Um, I thought he did pretty much what uh, he told us was going to mm -hmm. happen. I thought it was pretty much uh, hitting the nail on the head. Uh, a little bit, maybe a touch more hawkish um, in, in terms of releasing that 
principles of balance sheet reduction. Not something I expected, but I did expect them to talk uh, a lot about the balance sheet. So they just did it in a more organized way than I think the market expected. I think uh, I had an expectation that perhaps this summer they would be uh, reducing the balance sheet, uh, hiking in March. So I think it was pretty much spot on. I will tell you, Melissa, in just the last, I don't know, little bit here with this rise in rates, I want you to look at the Fed funds probabilities because there has been a change in the market outlook. We went into this meeting with the expectation that rate hikes would be quarterly next year. They've now moved that up. If you guys can show that chart, thank you very much. There's now a banking here or, or, or a pricing in of three consecutive rate hikes with only a break before the fourth here. Now, it looks like that June one could change a little bit. It's not quite as strong as the others right now. Uh, and this is pricing that does move around, sometimes by the hour, sometimes by the day. And you can see the November hike, or the fourth hike, is now in November. It had been in December. So they've made more, the, the market now pricing in more frequent rate hikes, as well as an earlier uh, 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 fourth hike there as well. So I, I, I'm not sure I heard that, but I can get how that could happen, that the market thinks the Fed's going to get its business done. Maybe the upside is this, I don't see them pricing in a fifth hike here, at, at least not at this point yet, uh, at the February or December meeting. So um, pretty much as expected, I'm a little bit concerned that there were a lot of people out there saying that they thought Powell was going to uh, uh, ease off and be dovish. I don't know why they expected that. I'm a little concerned that people were talking about that out of school a little bit. Um, yeah, there was. there's really no upside at this point to going more dovish when the markets are expecting four. I mean, why not just let the markets think four? And if you deliver four, you deliver four. If you don't, so be it. Um, that, that's the way I took it. Right. But you right. know much better than, than me, Steve. So let me get this straight, that that November hike that's now priced at 70-plus percent probability that was really a december originally and it's pulled forward it was december yeah yeah pretty strongly now pulled forward into, into november based i will say on one today. thing though that's probably yeah based on today one very quick thing which is mm -hmm. uh, uh powell has clawed back some optionality for the fed and some flexibility um this is not baked in so much anymore they may do more they may do less but the guidance now is substantially different they had the guidance during the pandemic was we are going to be easy for a very long time. They're now saying they're going to hike. They're going to do the balance sheet. But I think the guidance, the window now is more like six months, not a year the way it had been before. All right. Uh, Steve, thanks as always. I think. Always good to see you. Steve Leesman. Um, we do have some stocks uh, moving in the after hours that we want to get to right now. Christina Partsnebulis is here with all the hi with the highlights. Christina. Well, that's right. I've got a few breaking news stories just in after hours trading. Firstly, a new member of the S&P 500, Constellation Energy, is going to replace the gap. Constellation Energy shares right now climbing higher, about almost 5% higher. Unfortunately, the gap is moving in the opposite direction, down 4%. Gap will be moving to the S&P mid-cap 400. Keep in mind, just about two weeks ago, Constellation executives put out a press release saying that they're going to emphasize nuclear energy in the future of the company. And a lot of analysts are bullish on that company in regards to that. Second story, shares of Centene popping roughly 6% right now after a Bloomberg report said that the company has drawn interest from Cigna in, the, in recent months. We've reached out to both companies. We haven't heard back just yet on this report. But nonetheless, that's why you're seeing movement in these uh, company stocks right now. All right, Christina, thanks. Christina Partsnevelis. Pete Najarian, your pick on which stock you want to talk about. Um, I'd probably lean towards Centene. I think that, you know, we, we talk about this space a lot in healthcare and so forth. And you know what? 
anytime I hear somebody's interested in something like this and the possibility of it being there, that's something we all want to look into and find out, is there any credibility to that or not? So I think that one stands out the best for me. Yeah. Um, Tim Gap. Not so much. Uh, I mean, look, I, I think it's a case where uh, forget the technical aspects of, of the you know, leaving and adding dynamics for you know, whether it's Constellation uh, or Gap. I just think that Gap is a story that uh, was a restructuring, re broken story, so to speak, not restructuring from a balance sheet perspective, but restructuring in terms of what they're doing with their retail footprint, what they're doing with their mall leases, what they're doing with their uh, brick and mortar versus their online business. I think you squeezed a lot of excitement into this stock. And I, I don't think there's a lot of excitement in the next 12 to 15 months. I also think margin issues around labor uh, and even higher real estate costs are things that people are not pricing in aggressively enough. All right. Coming up, GameStop or bust? One hedge fund going long on the name last year, and it paid off in a very big way. Exclusive comments from the man who made that bold bet. Plus, a big update to a story we brought you yesterday. We got the details next. Welcome back. Shares of GameStop pushing higher in today's session. The stock holding above the $100 level. But exactly one year ago today, GameStop shares were trading more than triple these levels. And that wild move paid off big time for one hedge fund. Leslie Picker continuing our week-long series on the retail revolution. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. Buy when Wall Street analysts say to sell. Sell when famous business personalities tweet to buy. That's a short summation of why Senvest Management's Richard Mashal decided to buy GameStop shares in September 2020 amid a slew of analyst sell ratings and unprecedentedly high short interest. He sold out of the position a year ago today following what he describes as a mania in the stock. The biggest sell signal to Senvest, this tweet by Elon Musk with just one word, GameStonk. His piling on with that with that tweet for us was, you know, you know, we sort of all looked at each other and say, how do you top that in terms of what else is going to happen from a momentum point of view? And so for that, for us, that signified peak momentum and we proceeded to exit the rest of our position. The rest is history. Senvest notching $700 million from the position, helping the firm become the best performing hedge fund of 2021. The one-year anniversary of these events coincides, though, with tremendous market volatility. A year ago tomorrow, GameStop shares reached their record high of 347.51. That was 87 times the level GameStop had been trading just six months prior. And while the stock gained today, it's still trading at less than a third of where it was a year ago. Still, many of the shorts have been flushed out due to the fear of being squeezed. Michelle says that will be less of a focus this year in 2022. Short squeezes have always been a risk, and uh, you know certainly they were a much bigger risk uh, last year. But I think that this it will be a good year for um, you know for stock pickers to really differentiate themselves both on the long and short side. He says he has no plans though to buy back GameStop at these levels. Melissa, Leslie, what's his big bet this year? <laughs> 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 it's a good question. So he told us he likes a couple names. Capri Holdings is one of them. That's the owner of Michael Kors and Versace, a bunch of luxury brands. He believes it's undervalued and that it has good growth prospects for those underlying brands. Um, he also likes a bunch of Canadian energy companies as well. Um, and he's a big fan of um, 
a couple of others that I'm trying to remember what is on the record and what is off the record in terms of what I can share with you. But Capri Holdings is a big one. Paramount Resources is the Canadian uh, energy company that he likes as well. And he also said that he's dabbling into some stock name, uh, SPAC names that he will later potentially disclose as well, given the recent sell off there. I'm also curious, Leslie, what his track record had been prior to GameStop or what his record would have been in 2021 X GameStop. So GameStop represented about 50% of their returns. And what's interesting about their track record, they're contrarian investors. They like to take uh, more value-oriented stakes. Their best performance has come out of big bubble bursts. So they had... Uh, they had been the best performing hedge fund back in 2003 following the dot-com bubble bursting. And then they did it again in 2009 following the financial crisis. So they do have this kind of pattern coming on the other side of bubbles bursting. And one could say the same thing, not necessarily that a bubble burst, but of course there was a huge downturn in March 2020. They were able to pick up some what they saw as beaten down stocks on the other side of that and then show really tremendous performance in 2021. Yeah, a good year might be coming for them again. Leslie, thanks so much. Leslie Picker, um, I do want to talk Capri with with uh, Grasso in particular. That's one of his names. So we want to get to Tesla here because we noticed the stock taking a big leg higher in just the past few minutes. It's up by about 3% now. Let's get to Gene Munster um, with what he heard on the call. Gene, why is the stock popping? Uh, Melissa, Elon came out at the top of the call in attack mode. He's like a prize fighter swinging. He gave uh, guidance for 2022 unit growth, delivery growth of uh, well above, comfortably above was the language he used, 50%, the streets at 40%. Mm -hmm. He also said to expect full self-driving by the end of 2022, uh, This not making this up. I think that the street may not believe that. But what he did add was that that, that business has nutty, in his words, profitability. And last, when we did the setup to this call, when you asked what Elon was going to talk about, the furthest thing from my mind was the robot. I, I wasn't sure if it was real or uh, a punchline. And uh, in fact, uh, they, they're really going for this. Uh, this can be uh, for uh, impact. I think what we're seeing, I think the long-term vision is building robots that can be used in uh, the real world for jobs that people don't want to do. And uh, I think those three, the combination, uh, leaves investors with some greater confidence that this company is just going to continue to grow. Um, on the robot note, Gene, do you want the company to be building robots uh, before they introduce a new vehicle model? Or, you know, is there supply chain issues around the world and trying to ramp up factories? I mean, is that something you want to see the company do? I want to see them continue to invest in growth. And uh, they said that the, this, the cost of this, uh, focusing on doing this development, means that Cybertruck's not going to see uh, deliveries in 2022. They had hinted that a couple weeks ago. Uh, they had changed some uh, language on their le website, so that wasn't a surprise. But there is a cost to it. But I think when you just look in aggregate here, uh, if you believe in robots, uh, I, I think that they do play an important role long-term in humanity. And so I, I welcome uh, that development at the at the cost of potentially you know putting out more cars, and and the reason is that the growth is still impressive. I mean these are huge numbers, and they're talking about huge numbers on top of huge numbers. So it's not like anything is suffering on the delivery front while they uh, do these other projects. All right, uh, Gene, thanks for keeping us posted on that. Tesla shares are up by two point six percent. I don't know, Pete, are you a believer in robots? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know so much about the robots. I mean, I have some belief in them, but I'm not sure I have that kind of Elon's kind of belief. But you know what? Why would I ever not listen to this guy? The guy's absolutely delivered. The profitability that they're talking about with the autonomous cars and everything, that's something that does really strike something, though. I mean, I think that's impressive, along with the deliveries they're talking about. So to Gene's point, that's given the stock a little bit of a lift. And I will tell you, the 950 calls today were the very active calls as well as other strikes but one of the ones close to where the stock was actually trading today so it's interesting that the stock is trading somewhere near those levels now so uh how this plays out i don't know the robots he's talked about this for a long time though mel he really has that's something that he's pretty passionate about but um i guess he's trying to bring that up a little closer in time than we first thought uh, yeah, and there's could be a whole lot more that Elon Musk is going to say. We're only 19 minutes into the call, so we'll keep you posted on any developments here. <laughs> Meantime, we've got another earnings alert for you on Las Vegas Sands. Let's get to Contessa Brewer for that. Contessa. Melissa, the uh, stock is sort of flat in after hours trading. Las Vegas Sands has the money from selling its Las Vegas properties. It has downtime during the pandemic. It's using both to continue its capital spending. On the call, Rob Goldstein just said the companies embarked on a billion-dollar renovation at Marina Bay Sands in Singapore, where visitation last year was just, get this, 330,000 people. Compare that to more than 19 million visitors in 2019. Goldstein says... They are pursuing large-scale projects both in the United States and internationally. We do expect some answers next week about the ballot initiative in Florida, and we're looking at efforts in New York City to develop an integrated resort uh, in this state. When pressed on capital return, the company says it is looking forward to returning to a shareholder dividend when it returns to operational profitability. Remember that Sheldon Adelson used to start those calls with, yay, dividends. Well, one more thing here. Goldstein says he is monitoring the challenges of sports betting stocks that we're seeing right now. A lot of volatility there. He thinks things will shake out. And he says Las Vegas Sands' willingness to wait and not dive into the fray hasn't really been the worst idea, Melissa. All right, Contessa, thank you, Contessa Brewer. Um, Tim, actually, Las Vegas Sands was the L in your acronym, which was LIVE for 2022. So you, so you like this one. What do you think of the quarter? Oh, right, along with some volatility and some energy. And, and look, I, what, I, what I like about Las Vegas Sands is that, first of all, it is a great balance sheet. You know, some of these divestitures, you know, there's, there's $6 billion in cash, not chasing uh, some of this online sports betting world. Obviously, right now looks great. But more importantly, I think they do have a future in higher margin business and, and the perfect storm of travel, immobility, and the fears around China, this, this stock was cut in half on valuation. I mean, where, where should it be trading? Not at seven to eight times EBITDA. The historical on this is 15 times. Um, take me even halfway back. Um, and again, you heard about some of those traffic patterns. But what they are doing in Southeast Asia outside of Macau is very, very impressive. And I think something that investors just aren't giving enough credit to. So uh, long the stock, continue to be long, have a lot of comfort with the balance sheet and a long-term prognosis. Right, Grasso, a real quick trade on LVS. Uh, well, LVS was trading just a, a month ago right at its COVID lows. To me, the risk reward is definitely on the side of the bulls. It's running into its 200-day moving average as resistance. But as long as uh, the bulls stay, stay a little bit clear of that COVID low, I don't think we're going to get down there again. It's a good spot to jump in. All right, coming up, Apple is on deck. The company reporting earnings after the bell tomorrow. One trader is betting this stock sees a surge. We've got the details next.
Check out shares of Apple dipping to the red to end the day along with the broader tech trade after the Fed's most recent rate hike comments. Tech Titan reports earnings tomorrow after the bell. One options trader is betting a lot of money that those results could push the stock higher. Tony Zhang is here with the action. Tony. Yeah, Melissa, the market is currently implying a 5.3% move, substantially higher than the 3.2 we've seen over the last eight quarters. And one trader is taking advantage of this elevated implied volatility, selling nearly 20,000 contracts of the 150, 145, and 140 strikes that expired this Friday, collecting about $770,000 in premium, betting that the stock will be above 140 by expiration. But if it's below 140, he has $290 million of stock purchase obligation this particular Friday. So a sizable bet that Apple will stay around these levels going into earnings. All right, Tony, thanks. Um, for more options action, full show is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. I was going to do quickly on Apple, but uh, we'll save that. Up next, final trades. It is time for the final trade, so let's go around the horn. Pete Nigerian, what do you say? I'm going to give you Apple, and here's why, Mel. I think Wedbush is right. They talked about from Black Friday to Christmas, 40 million uh, iPhones sold, and then Morgan Stanley talking about 83 million in the quarter. I think it's going to be a big quarter. Steve Grasso. We get a chance to talk about it. Capri Holdings. David Einhorn of Greenlight actually came out positive on the name. He said substantial upside, and this year they're going to be doing 10% of their market cap in cash. They should have all bought it when I pitched it at $18. Maybe they did. Capri. Tim's already eating dinner. Tim, final trade? Well, we, we did a, a Dogecoin but Happy Meal segment yesterday, and I got so fired up today, I ran out and got my um, Teen Titans. Good one. Big D's. All right. Man, Mad Money starts now. <laughs> this podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.